2: Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, we are all over the after hours action on this very busy night of earnings. Alphabet, GM, PayPal, AMD, Starbucks, all on the move right now. All of the calls just getting underway. We're breaking down the quarter straight ahead. Plus, brace for more volatility. That is a warning tonight from BFA's Savita Subramanian, why she is not giving an all-clear to the recent market pullback. And later, remember this.
1: Melissa sharp within attack, and we all know it's a fact. Steve Grass was showing love at triple pricing the share. We'll
2: retweet while he's live. On Fast Money friend time. Cassius Cuve like is back and he's so taking he's a new twist on the crypto trade. We're going to, to hear from him live coming up. up. Hopefully he'll wrap too. We start off with tonight's big tech report. Shares of Alphabet surging after posting a top and bottom line beat and announcing a 20 for one stock split. The conference call just got underway at the top of the hour. Let's get straight to Deidre Bosa for all the details. Debo.
3: Melissa, a huge move in the after hours and this quarter really capping off a blockbuster year for Alphabet profit nearly doubling over the year. Cloud continues to grow at a 40 percent plus rate year over year this quarter. YouTube, while it did slightly miss the street's estimates, it is just a billion dollars behind Netflix's annual total. And now that 20 for one stock split could make shares more widely appealing or accessible, as Ruth Porat told me, to a wider group of investors. Think perhaps the Reddit crowd. Uh, The call is just kicking off. I'm looking at it right now. Usually some Our pachai kicks it off. So we'll listen and monitor and let you know uh, what else comes out of it. The last thing I'll mention, Melissa, is I did ask CFO Ruth Port about the capital allocation plans, given its nearly $140 billion cash pile and, of course, the rate of inflation. She said no change in strategy. The priority is still organic growth. Some analysts had floated the idea of a dividend. No one was really holding up their breath for one. If they were, they're going to have to continue to wait. Back to you. (laughs)
2: All right, Debo, keep us posted on the call. Deidre Brose with the latest on Alphabet. Karen, a stunning move in the after-hours session. What did you like about the quarter?
4: So I liked the numbers, obviously. I liked the revenue. That was very good, the beat. And when you have a big revenue beat and a business like theirs with huge margins, you get a big bottom-line beat. So that was nice. There was a lot to like about it. And then aside from the business, which is doing great, and that's really nice to see, there was this 20-for-1 split, which I was very surprised to see, honestly. I thought they really didn't care what price their stock trades at. And I know it's just math. It doesn't make any difference. It is you know The company is what it is. But the 20-for-1 split does allow a whole new group of investors, those that trade options, for example, and uh, there are no baby shares like there are in Berkshire. So even though there are places you could buy parts of the share, this allows other investors who have sort of been shut out by the high price to be able to invest in Google. So that's really good. Um, to Deidre's point about the capital allocation, I'd like to hear some more about buybacks. I know they announced a big one last year. I think they have some room left on that. I would love for them to reload on that because With the cash flow generation they have that was really only about a one year's worth of cash flow and as she said they have that enormous cash hoard the other thing i'm glad they don't have a dividend i feel like when you're a big tech company and you become a dividend payer you're sort of Mm -hmm. saying we're you know we're a little older we're you know more mature and that to be also signals oh slower growth so i'm i'm fine with no dividend i'd be happy to see a special dividend but to not lock themselves into being a dividend payer, that's fine with me. So all that, I think, very good news. And it bodes well for the other social media, for Facebook, certainly, which is up, and you know, Snap and Pinterest and that yeah. whole group.
2: Um, the strength and search, obviously, and ads, that, that's going to be a good read-through for, for all of those names that Karen had mentioned. So, so Alphabet themselves, a big supporter of the stock in terms of buybacks potentially, a new class of investors, another support in the stock. Guy Adami, I mean, there is a lot to like about this story at, at this point. Um, what do you like the most about this quarter? What, what would you nitpick?
5: No, there are no nitpicks here. I mean, you talk about YouTube and Mike Santoli just—Mike uh, Santoli, excuse me—just talked about. It. I mean, they're going to do 34 billion dollars in revenue this year, which is, you know, it's quite a number when you think about it. There's nothing to nitpick. What you like about this is in, a, in a, an arena now where valuation is clearly a concern. You can make an argument that at 25 times this year's numbers, which you know, if you do the math, that's what we're looking at. It's probably cheap, and that's probably just earning hundred and twenty dollars a share you can make an argument they're probably closer to one thirty 130, one thirty five so i think this stock is poised once again to trade north of three thousand i don't think any of us have really run from this name i was surprised it got as low as it did and this had a twenty five hundred dollar handle on it a couple of days ago but this is an this is a great quarter
2: is, is this stock due for a re-rating Dan Nathan, I mean, also when you dig down in the numbers, what was interesting in terms of rethrers was the geographic diversity of the revenue growth. Um, We saw 30 plus percent growth in various geographies around the world. Search, obviously, the strength there indicates also strength in travel and sort of that, that comeback trade.
6: Yeah, no, I mean, listen, both Karen and Guy are spot on with everything. There's really nothing to nitpick here. And the valuation, I see about 21 times coming into today with expected growth and, you know, high teens as far as revenue. Um, You saw those better than expected operating margins. I mean, it's a great quarter for a stock that is reasonably valued, um, you know, versus the broad market here and many of its peers. One thing I'd say about that cash, Mel, I mean... I think this is a company that obviously is relying on mobile search a great deal. If you look at their cloud business, it's not a massive percentage of their overall sales. It's growing very nicely at 45%. I think they should test the waters with the FTC and make an acquisition. You know, this is a company where their only real social property is YouTube for all intents and purposes. And if you think about who they're competing with and how, I think it makes sense if they had a Snap or they had a Twitter. And I know that we've been saying that for a very long time. But, you know, the FTC is going to take a look at this, micro. Microsoft deal with Activision, they're going to take a look at everything. Why not test the waters? Because if the boogeyman has been regulation for these huge platform companies for the last few years, well, there's really not much other than fines that have come their way.
2: That could be it. Although, Ruth Porter was pretty pretty clear with Deirdre when it came to organic growth, organic meaning growing themselves on their own, Tim, what I mean, what did you make of the quarter? Do you want to see them do a deal?
7: No. No, I don't. Um, I I get Dan's point. But but look, their their core business in search is 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 soaring. Uh, The ROI that that that, that's derived by the advertising community and the user community. In other words, Google's getting the most uh, giving them the most for their money. So digital ad revenue is up thirty two and a half percent. YouTube, a little disappointing, but we just talked about the scale of that business. They are the leader in worldwide digital ad. I mean, their market share is somewhere around 40% now. It's going to go down slightly in 22. Um, again, I, I just look at this company it, it, that, that also is, is re-rating not just because uh, the growth is staying where it is or even exceeding in the, in the digital world, but because they are doing corporate governance friendly things. And, and a share split's not necessarily corporate governance friendly, but it is showing some attention to uh, the share class investors that I think historically Google is a black box. And, and I think that's, you know, that's part of the story here. I think that's part of uh, where we really elevated the story. And I think we actually are getting, uh, you know, Ruth Porat has, has done such a great job in earning that multiple. That separates companies. I think Microsoft gets that premium. And, and at 25, 26 times, this is a growth company that's not priced like a growth company. So I, I say don't don't change a thing. I, I love what's going on here.
2: By the way, Meta after hours up about 2%. Snap is up about 3%. Twitter's up a couple percent as well. Let's move on and hit PayPal earnings. Of course, by the way, we're on that conference call for uh, Alphabet. We'll keep you posted. Uh, PayPal is plunging. The conference call is underway right now. Let's get straight to Kate Rooney with the numbers. Kate.
8: Hey, Melissa. Yeah, PayPal's guidance really weighing on the stock here after hours and the eBay hangover lasting a lot longer than Wall Street expected. Shares, like I said, down double digits here. After hours, they were down as much as 15 percent. Looks like they're still around that range right now. A slight miss on the bottom line for the fourth quarter uh, for PayPal. Adjusted EPS was just a penny short of Wall Street consensus estimates. Uh, PayPal says, though, that they saw a 25 cent headwind per share from that eBay transition. That has been the big theme of this quarter. Still really feeling the pressure from that eBay spinoff. EPS guidance for Q1 And full-year guidance were well below where Wall Street was expecting. Net new actives uh, also looking to be between 15 and 20 million. That was lower than expected as well. I spoke to Dan Schulman, CEO of PayPal, about the guidance. He says that by the third quarter of this year, eBay shouldn't really be a factor. He says last year, eBay put $1.4 billion of revenue pressure on PayPal. This year, it's going to be about $600 million. Still, they're five months uh, from that target, though, of really being clear From the ebay headwinds and says in the back half of the year though paypal won't need to do any adjusting for ebay it is not just ebay though weighing on that guidance number he talked about inflation and supply chain issues as well shulman mentioned external factors he says exogenous factors as he called them like inflation are impacting some of the spending and uh, segments in paypal's user base also says supply chain is disproportionately impacting cross-border especially coming from china as well as small business merchants. Expectations had been pretty high after pretty strong quarters. From Visa and MasterCard, Wall Street caught a little off guard here. The call, like you said, still going on. We'll bring you any highlights as we get those. Melissa, back to you.
2: Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney, um, this is just a drubbing for PayPal, Guy. Is this warranted?
5: It's a drubbing having been drubbed. I mean, last quarter was a disaster as well. I mean, just to put things in perspective, it was... The Pinterest news, or whatever headline or rumor, whatever you want to call it, subsequent then their earnings release, which was a disaster, and now this, which is a disaster. Maybe not so much the quarter, but the guidance. I mean, first quarter revenue guide is half of what the street was expecting. Now, if you believe them, and you just heard uh, Kate talking about it, they're going to make it up in the back half of the year, and they're expecting full year revenue growth between 15 and 17 percent, which, given I think consensus of 18, isn't a disaster, but. They got to do a lot of work to get there, and now we're at levels we haven't seen in years. So, is it deserved? Yeah, and it's deserved it on the back of being drubbed already.
2: You know, it's funny on the reports of the Pinterest potential acquisition. You know, we sort of bandied about this idea that maybe PayPal was running out of ideas for growth, and so it turned to this acquisition, which wasn't a straightforward one in terms of logic. Tim, and here we are. When you look back on and of course, hindsight's 2020. Maybe, maybe that was the clue to all of this.
7: Yeah, the stock has not recovered from that point, and and yes, the, the as we've outlined, the, the growth targets here um, not in line with the company. Although it's not a terrible multiple at this point, down 40% into today's print. Um, you know, you're you're sub you're sub 30 on a forward basis, and again, we still really need to understand why this slowdown. I, I think uh, they did this to us last year too. So I think at some point people are a little concerned here on their ability to really assess their business and the growth. And and Kate pointed out the fact that. The, the peer group, at least, in the frictionless and uh, digital spend in in Visa and MasterCard, very different story. Um, and it should be you know, tailwind time for PayPal. That's what's disappointing here.
2: Yeah. Um, yesterday, we played this game. I don't even know if it's a game. Uh, deep value or deep discount. So at this point, Dan, what is PayPal? What category does it fall into?
6: Yeah, well, at six times sales into this um, decline or six and a half times, it wasn't exactly – um, deep discount here. I would say I'd point you to Square, maybe. You know, Square got down to 100 bucks. That was the breakout level in 2020, trading half the price-to-sales multiple. It's going to be down in sympathy. I know that they're going to report um, probably pretty soon. It bounced up 100 pretty hard and had this really sharp move. It's still down. I mean, that all-time high was near 290 last summer. So you know, if you're looking, when you thought that a company like this, when it was trading at 10 plus times sales, and we knew there was going to be deceleration. That's why these stocks have been going down. For months, and maybe this is kind of like the kitchen sink sort of quarters at least, or at least they do it more than a quarter. Just get really the guidance so low that they can start to meet and beat and can, and be constructive, I think, going forward. So I'd probably look at square closer to 100, the lows from last week.
2: PayPal, by the way, just hitting after our session lows down by about 16%. We've got another earnings alert for you this time on GM. The conference call is underway. Let's get to Phil LeBeau with the details. Phil.
9: Melissa, we're about 13 minutes into that conference call. There was just a discussion about what they might do with a dividend. That's a tease. We'll have a full update here in just a little bit. Let me first go over the Q4 numbers because this was a strong fourth quarter and a strong end to a 2021 that was challenging because of the uh, chip supply, et cetera. But look. They beat the street in terms of earning a buck 35 versus a buck 19 expected revenue, a little bit shy of expectations with free cash flow of 6.4 billion dollars. What is the guidance for 2022? They expect it to be as strong, if not stronger, than the last year, earning 13 to 15 billion dollars. Remember, they made 14.3 billion in 2021. They assume continued steady demand and an improvement in chip supply and the supply chain, so that the inventory levels should improve. And they are also going to be increasing their EV spending in the next year. Remember, the GM Silverado, uh, the Chevy Silverado EV, that's the pickup truck that so many people are focused on. They have announced that they now have 110,000 reservations for that electric pickup truck, which, by the way, comes into the market in 2023. They start production maybe at the end of this year or the beginning of next year. And don't forget, tomorrow morning, we're going to be talking with GM CEO Mary Barra, not only about the Q4 results, but more importantly, the guidance for 2022. And with regard to that guidance, a couple of headlines that just came out of this conference call within the last minute or two, they are announcing plans to build a third dedicated electric pickup truck plant. They haven't named a location yet, but that will be going forward. They are also going to be planning to build an even more affordable electric vehicle than the Chevy Equinox, which they said just a, about three or four weeks ago, they planned that to come into market at about $30,000 as a price point. So remember what Elon Musk said? No plans for a $25,000 EV, Melissa. Mm-hmm. This is GM saying they're not saying 25000 but they are saying a more affordable EV than that Chevy Equinox. And with regard to the dividend, see, this is called following up on the tease, Melissa. <laughs> Mary Barra just said no plans to reinstate it at this point. Back to you.
2: Which makes a lot of sense, Phil. Considering how much they're going to have to spend in terms of factory conversions, and it yep. does seem like an arms race at this point. I mean, Ford, right, just announcing its its intention to spend what is it, between ten and twenty billion dollars? Yeah, the next that five story's years. out there. That yeah.
9: story's out there. And look, Jim Farley has said for some time. That the money that they've already said we're going to be spending, the $30 billion, that's likely not the end of it, that they will be spending more mm-hmm. in the future. And I expect General Motors to spend more over the next couple of years. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point they say this is exactly how much more we're planning on spending. With regard to the results and what's expected, Melissa, keep this in mind regarding commodity price pressure. Uh, The CFO, uh, Paul Jacobson, has said that they are facing or did face a two and a half billion dollar increase in commodity pricing pressure. I mean, that shows you just how much inflation and what's happening in the supply chain is impacting the bottom line because they've got strong pricing. That strong pricing, however, is being offset by that commodity pricing. Right. Right.
2: Phil, thanks. Keep us posted on the conference call, which is now about 17 minutes in. Uh, Karen, what did what do you want to know more about from the GM call?
4: Well, I, I obviously like to hear about their business. The dividend thing was interesting, but I agree with you. Why spend the money? They wouldn't even get credit in the stock market, I think, for a dividend. So why use that cash? They have huge CapEx coming. I mean, they have, you know, the internal combustion engine business they have is really profitable. They also had a very good uh, GM finance, I believe. And if you back out GM finance earnings and you back out the debt that goes with it, you have a, just a crazy cheap EBITDA multiple for GM. All that having been said, though, the market doesn't care. They only care about how will they evolve into an EV company. Are they going to find any success there? And even though this you know, ICE business is profitable, let's ignore it because that's not the future. It almost doesn't matter. It doesn't, the PE doesn't matter. I mean, I don't know, you know, sort of math doesn't matter here. It's all about the future. So I'm long and frustrated, GM. I do think that they will have success in the EV market, but, you know, the stock market is saying differently at this level, I think, because these are good numbers.
2: To that point, I believe on the conference call, GM was asked about the possibility of a tracking stock for the EV business, and, and uh, management said something to the effect of, no, we're just focused on put, producing the EVs at this point. We're not even thinking about that sort of, uh, I don't want to say financial engineering, but stock to reflect the value that's embedded in this business, to Karen's point about frustration on the part of shareholders. Tim, in terms of Ford versus GM, Ford has a higher multiple maybe warranted, what do you think based on GM's quarter?
7: Well, and so that EBITDA multiple Karen's talking about it, is about six and a half, based upon the middle range of that guide they just gave us. And and look, they, you know, they talked about in addition to the additional EV plant, they talked about a fourth EV cell plant. They've got a lot of money to spend. Everyone's talking about. Look, it. it's actually a you know a, a free cash flow machine in terms of their their core business, the internal internal combustion engine business that no one seems to care about. Uh, however, that business has never been run better. And and I think you know Ford versus GM. Uh, I think you just asked me to play the game. I don't know. Um, I actually have a bigger position in GM because I like the multiple better. But it's clear um, Ford has the sexier product line uh, first to market. They are seemingly more committed uh, on the EV side. And I think that's what the market is, is, is rewarding. Remember, GM has also invested a lot in autonomous and their Ultium battery technology. So it's not just the pure EV story. But I think GM has brought uh, a wider, more diversified model to the table.
2: GM, by the way, is at after hour session highs right now as we speak. All right, coming up, brace for quote a messy sideways market. That is the warning from Civita of of Savita Supermania and how she is positioned for a choppy few weeks ahead. But first, we've got some more earnings coming in. Can you believe it? Starbucks and both on the move in the after hour session. We'll break down the numbers when Fast Money returns.
3: You seek the key.
6: But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
10: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place?
8: Welcome back
2: to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Starbucks. Shares are down by about 5% after hours. Let's get to Kate Rogers for the details. Kate...
0: Melissa, a mixed Q1 for the coffee giant here. Revenues a beat, but EPS a miss, as the company points to both the pandemic and inflation. CEO Kevin Johnson telling investors in a statement, quote, although demand was strong, this pandemic has not been linear, and the macro environment remains dynamic as we experienced higher than expected inflationary pressures, increased costs due to Omicron, and a tight labor market. Same store sales, also a mixed bag here. Globally up 13%, slightly lower than anticipated. In the U.S., though, up 18%. That's a beat but they fell 14% in China due to omicron and travel restrictions that's key of course is ch- as China is the company's second home market but Starbucks maintains that it does have a long-term growth opportunity in China the conference call underway now with leadership saying that global demand is strengthening but the company faced quote extra- extraordinary cost pressures rather and staffing issues in the quarter they expect that likely will continue the stock down about 10% over the last 3 months and Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson will join squawk on the street first on CNBC tomorrow. So tune in for much more there, Melissa. Back over to you. Kate Rogers, thank you. Tim Seymour, how should we think about these inflationary
2: pressures? Do we think of them as transient? Because some of it won't go away in terms of wage inflation.
7: Look, I'm a longtime Starbucks holder and user and consumer, and I'm concerned. Uh, and, and they just said on the tape that they also have pricing actions that can mitigate a lot of these cost pressures. Look, they're, you know, it goes from personal luxury to personal sacrifice if they raise prices a lot more, I think, at Starbucks. And, and I'm very concerned at the quality. I'm very concerned at their ability to actually staff these stores uh, properly. I think people are walking away and they may or may not come back. Um, the good news for the stock is that it's now trading at a level that we haven't seen in, in three or four years. And those U.S. comps are awesome. So if you think, you know, you're, you're inside of kind of 26 27 times EPS, which is a five-year average, and you're at 17 times EV EBITDA for 23. It starts to get really interesting for a company, though, that I think uh, has some work to do.
2: Yeah, the drop in China was extreme, though, Karen. I mean, they're citing Omicron, but you got to wonder if there's also a sort of a broader slowdown. You know, if you overlay what's, what's going on in the real estate market in China, people might not be feeling like they want to shell out money for a latte over there.
4: Yeah, I agree. And and that was part of the reason I sold it. Just also the multiple was very very high. It's a lot more reasonable now. But yeah, there's that, there's just there's Omicron. I don't think we've really seen the full extent of that there. And as you said, just the general economy outside of that already being pressured and, you know, the question mark about US companies operating in China and how they'll be treated. So, there's a there's a lot to sort of be lukewarm about and You know, I don't really love lukewarm coffee, so I'm going to pass on this one. But I think there's it's it's a great company. It deserves a premium. It maybe has a little one here. Um, It's fine. It's fairly valued. I certainly wouldn't dump it if, you know, on today's earnings. All right.
2: Um, from coffee to chips, uh, we've got an earnings alert on advanced micro devices. Christina Parks Nevelis got the details. Christina. Yeah, and it has nothing to do with food. But AMD did it again, and its shares
11: are reacting in after-hours trading. The chipmaker posted revenue of $4.8 billion. That's up almost 50% compared to a year ago with earnings of 92 cents, which you can see on your screen it is a big beat. Shares are jumping in after-hours trading after the company sold pricier chips for gaming and data center servers. So that helped offset any type of global supply. Snags its enterprise, embedded, and semi-custom segment, which is encompasses that uh, gaming consoles that climbed 17% just from quarter to quarter, and full-year guidance came in strong. The company predicts sales will grow 31% in 2022. The CEO just saying on the call right now, a lot of that growth will come from servers, and that's also helping push up the stock prices of chip makers like Qualcomm as well as Nvidia. Its new Radeon super chips with improved performance are also helping steal market share away from Intel, which is the biggest supplier of PC chips. And AMD, last but not least, is looking to grow. Just a few days ago on January 27th, it received the green light by Chinese regulators to purchase z links z has reported $1.1 billion in cash flow from operations, which would be a boon for AMD, and will, will help AMD expand in the aerospace space, and defense market. In today's conference call, AMD said they anticipate the deal to close in the first quarter of this year. We will have AMD's CEO on CNBC tomorrow morning on Squawk on the Street at 9.15 a.m. Tune
2: in. All right. Christina, thank you. Christina Partsenevolis. SMH, by the way, up more than 2% after hours. As Christina mentioned, a halo effect on the entire chip sector. Dan Nathan, a lot to like about this quarter.
6: Yeah, there's nothing not to like. And I think Guy kind of nailed this one. He kind of brought it down to that 100 level. He said that technical level is where it's going to bounce. And it got to a valuation level, considering the expected growth in the growth areas where they are, servers, data center, gaming, that sort of stuff. I mean, it really set up pretty nicely, um, at the very least, as a trade. And I guess the other point I'd just make is last week we were talking about Intel their quarter, their guidance. It's just such a stark comparison. Overlay those two over the last few years. That says the whole thing. You know, I don't think you chase it here. I mean, I I don't, you know, in this market, I don't think you chase any of these moves, even that alphabet move, which is right back very near its prior all time high. I just think it's going to take a lot more to get these things breaking back out to their prior highs in the sort of market, given the visibility that we have right
5: now.
2: Is this not enough to reignite uh, the chip run guy?
5: Well, I mean, Tim mentioned it last night. Carter Worth, and I don't know how to spell this word, but he had a prescient call. Prescient, <laughs> by the way, the word I don't know how to spell. Last week, and he was spot on. Look at the move <laughs> since he talked about it on Friday. Is it enough? I think it's enough. I understand what Dan is saying entirely, but, I mean, AMD, for example, sold off 40% from Thanksgiving. It's a $164 stock down to 100 it's a pretty remarkable move. Now it's gotten half of it back. So, do you have to chase it? Probably not, but it goes to show once again the genius of Lisa Su and what they're doing. Now you can make an argument it should never have gotten to 164 as quickly as it did. I hear you, but there's nothing not to like about this quarter and Karen said this last night quickly. Look at Qualcomm on valuation. It makes it look more attractive based on this earnings release from AMD.
2: Precision, think of the Latin scira, which is to know. That's how you remember how to spell it. That's an aside the more you know. Doesn't,
5: it doesn't help me, by the way, in case, you know, if you think that helped, it just made it worse.
2: A lot more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
5: Messy Market. Our next guest, sounding the alarm on what could be a rough year for stocks. She'll break down what she's watching next. Plus, delivering gains. UPS surging on earnings. So, is it time to get in? We're shipping into that trade. Next, you're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
9: Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary workday until
2: the Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m.
9: The office was shocked.
2: That's when we sleep.
9: Maya made it less scary with Canva.
2: (laughs) I'll just record my
0: presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime.
9: Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at Canva.com. Designed for work.
3: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
2: another look at tonight's big earnings movers. Uh, Alphabet maintaining its gains. It is up now by about 8 percent. GM is 1 percent gain there. Take a look at Gilead Sciences. That is down by almost 4 percent. And PayPal continues its slide after hours down by more than 16 percent. Welcome back to Fast Money. Strong beginning to February. Stocks on a three-day win streak with all three major indices closing higher today. But our next guest is urging investors to brace for a messy market. Savita Subramanian is ahead of U.S. equity and quantitative strategy at B of A Securities. Savita, it's always great to see you. Um, so Likewise. the 10% correction is, is likely behind us. But what do you mean by a messy market ahead? Look, I
12: just don't think it's time to buy the S&P 500 wholesale. I don't think this is going to be a year where the S&P turns in great returns. And so just to set the stage, our target for the S&P this year is 4,600. It's a little bit higher than where we are today. But I think that between today and year end, we're gonna hit that target multiple times and we're gonna see some big swings in the market. And I kind of feel like this year is a year where we, we recalibrate expectations to an environment where cash yields are likely to move from zero, worthless today, to something closer to 2% by the end of the year. And this is our our economists' latest rates forecast. So I think it's gonna be a year where we are shocked by the volatility. We've already seen quite a, um, a volatile January. And what I think is interesting is that a lot of what we were forecasting came true in January. So now we're sitting here thinking, okay, now what? Um, t- you know, Tech took it on the chin. We thought that value would outperform growth. We saw the best month for value versus growth since the tech bubble. So now I think it's time to sift through all the rubble and look for good, high-quality companies with free cash flow. And that would be my mantra for the year is just use volatility as a buying opportunity for high-quality free cash flow yielders.
5: Dave Edmonds would be happy about that as you go crawling through the wreckage. And I was going to say you had this spot on because the last time you were on, you talked about all this taking place. So where does the Fed play into this? Because obviously, you know, the days of the Fed having our back are seemingly gone, at least in the short term. And, you know, a Fed that's been underwriting the broader market is no longer there.
12: I agree. I mean, I think the idea that the the Fed is going to act in response to market volatility is not necessarily the right framework today. I mean, the Fed's dual mandate, neither of those uh, those those metrics include the S&P 500. So I think we need to get used to the idea that. You know, asset inflation maybe is behind us and we're now heading for real inflation. So look, I think energy still works from where I'm sitting. It's still very underweight. It still offers much higher free cash flow than say tips or, or other proxies for in, inflation protection. And it's a, you know, it's a reviled sector. It still is one of the most underweighted sectors by, uh, by long only managers. So, I mean, I think it's interesting that even though it has doubled in its weight in the benchmark, Nobody's really participated in that sector over the last 12 months. Um, I think that might be the pain trade this year, now that it could actually hurt to be underweight some of these inflation uh, uh, beneficiaries in the market.
2: Savita, so, your house call is for seven rate hikes this year, which is extremely aggressive. Is it hard to even say the S&P 500 will move even higher from here, given that forecast? I mean, that that means all sorts of things for stocks in terms of you know, the cost of money and the dollar, et cetera.
12: Absolutely. So I, I, this is why I think we're in for a volatile year. If Ethan Harris, our chief economist, is right, and we do see you know seven rate hikes, I don't think the market is pricing that in. I think it could be really good for parts of the market. I mean, you know, the good news is that corporations and consumers are holding a lot more cash than they were back in 2008, 2009. So we all learned our lesson from the financial crisis, which is that leverage is evil. And it, this could actually be a better environment for some of the, the cash-rich corporates. And by that, I would include some technology companies. I would include healthcare. I think financials is a, is a really unlevered and interesting high-quality sector today. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think that this is gonna be good for parts of the market. Unfortunately, what gets hurt are some of these longer-duration growth stocks in an environment where discount rates are rising. And that's where right. I think the S&P might be in trouble because that's a bigger weight in the benchmark.
2: <laughs> All right, Savina, great to speak with you. Thanks so much. Savita Superman. Great to see you. B of A Securities. Uh, Karen Feinerman, that's great, seven rate hikes, if the yield curve actually steepens along with it.
4: Right, I mean, I guess you have to, seven rate hikes, that's certainly a lot, but you have to think about what she said, what is the environment in which they do those seven rate hikes, right? because um, I don't know. I don't think the Fed is, in, is on autopilot like they were back in 2018. I do think they'll be pretty data dependent. Seems, it seems a little aggressive, but um, listen, we've been at zero. I feel like we're the, we're the uh, college kid that moved home, and we expect the Fed to like, cook for us clean, and we don't have to do anything. Well, now the Fed's saying, yeah, look, I'm not doing everything anymore. you got to do something. So I'm okay with higher rates, but seven hikes, that's a little aggressive, I think.
2: Coming up, Sign, sealed, and delivered. Shares of UPS surging after posting blowout numbers or breaking down this move. Plus,
1: Melissa Sharpe within attack and we all know it's a fact. Steve Brass will show 11 triple price in the share. And people
2: retweet while Remember that? Recording artist and Fast Money friend Cassius yep. Couve is back with a brand new rap. And he's homie in on crypto. You won't want to miss this interview. That's
1: next.
2: We're starting to get some more comments out of the PayPal call. Let's get back to Kate rooting for the latest. Kate.
8: Hey, Melissa. So one of the things analysts were disappointed by were the net new active users for PayPal. The CFO on the call just now giving some color on why they missed there. In part. They say, yes, it was lower spending. It was things like inflation. And they had done incentive-led campaigns. So things like perks and giveaways. They say as part of that, they identified 4.5 million accounts they believe to have been quote, illegitimately created. And those were disqualified from those user growth numbers. Uh, so some of those those accounts just didn't count. And they said that, uh, you know, people had signed up looking to get in on that incentive and then never actually using the account. As a result, they say they're continuing to grow users, but they're going to focus on sustainable growth and driving engagement. So sort of changing how they do customer acquisition here. And they say, uh, to be clear, this is a choice on our part. They could increase spending to accelerate net new actives. They're really changing the way that they do this, though. John Rainey spending some time on the call there explaining that. But four point five million accounts in the quarter just did not add to that user growth. So explaining some of the uh, the miss there on net new actives. Back to you.
2: All right, Kate. Thanks, Kate Rooney. uh, Stock down more than 16 percent. Dan, this doesn't sound like a growth stock at this point
6: no and and i hate hearing excuses like that i don't even know what that means what they just talked about there you know they're discounting so heavily or they have such big promotions and that that's a big number four and a half million so to me you know that doesn't sound great listen there's a gap to be filled go all the way back to the summer of 2020 when this became a pandemic winter do you remember that um that's down there in the low 130s so sadly it feels like that's where it's going
2: Wow. All right. UPS, meantime, topping the tape after b- reporting blowout earnings before the bell. The transport giant also also issuing upbeat guidance and announcing a 49 percent dividend boost. The stock jumping 14 percent for its second best day ever. Karen, you sold some sh- some shares today. Why?
4: I did. I mean, I thought that I mean, it was a great court it was great. Right. God, this was great. Great. Um, It's, uh, you know, and FedEx went up on the heels of it. I thought, all right, I have sort of enough exposure here. Hopefully, this bodes well for FedEx, although, you know, that that disparity between the FedEx multiple at 13 or so and the UPS multiple at, I don't know, maybe 19 or so, which it deserves to be, UPS deserves to be there. Hopefully, FedEx doesn't deserve to be at 13, and it deserves to be at somewhat higher. I mean, UPS, is they've done a better job. And it's interesting, they're not growing their revenue as much because they want to grow it profitably. They're very focused on the yield. And maybe uh, FedEx will, will learn something from that. I'm not sure. They're not exactly the same, but generally they are. So all that having been said. Great quarter for them. Congratulations, Carol Tomei. And I'm long FedEx and a little bit of UPS. All right.
2: Coming up, going meta. The company formerly known as Facebook reports earnings tomorrow. We are checking in on how options traders are playing this one. But first...
1: What's poppin'? It's your boy Cash Louvay on CNBC. Coming to you straight from the metaverse live on TV. Make sure you stay tuned and you'll see why. I'll give you all the good tips and everything DeFi. Investment into the future in ways that'll help out the planet. We want it, we need it like that. As a matter of fact, we demand
2: it. ABTC. That's who I stand with, and with. I've been seeing green since the moment it landed. That is Fast funny friend, Cassius Kube who just dropped a new song, I Know, about crypto and ESG. He joins us now. Welcome back to Fast, Cassius. Great to see you.
1: Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
2: We first met you when you uh, had SPAC Dreams out. SPAC Dreams has turned into a SPAC nightmare, basically, for most investors. <laughs> and now you've turned to crypto. Why are you so much more about, excited about Web 3.0 versus SPACs?
1: Well, with SPACs, you know, it really kind of depends on what spec pretty broad terminology, of course, but uh, Web 3.0 is definitely the future of innovation. And that is what I'm really excited about. And so, you know, I I have to always, always talk about all of the things that are new, what's cutting edge and what's coming. And I didn't know about DeFi and crypto when I first made SPAC Dream, but I learned about it shortly after. And now I'm in real deep.
2: What do you mean by deep? I mean, are you talking uh, NFTs. Do you have an avatar in, in the metaverse? Are you buying lands? Are you buying the, the <laughs> coins that, that power this?
1: Absolutely. So you can see behind me here, I got a, i got fast money into central land. So that's my spot in Decentraland. I own digital real estate in Decentraland. For any builders out there, I want to be able to live stream fast money into Decentraland. Not sure if you ever had that happen before, but this was a clip from when you guys showed my video spax just chilling and I made NFT out of it and I put it in, in Decentraland. So you can actually go there right now in my property in the Central Land and check it out.
7: Cassius, it's Tim. First of all, love the new song you dropped. I know you've got ESG hip hop on top of you know looking out for the, hip, for, for the ESG investing world. Talk about uh, your focus in investing and, and, and really uh, a group of investors who may be listening to you while you're actually hip hopping it out. OK, so here's the thing. My whole thing is really education. So on my show,
1: Popping Crypto with Cassius Cuvée on YouTube, I actually just had Guy Adami on there, but we really need to learn about what's going on. Web 3.0 is kind of hard right now. There's a lot of friction. So, I make videos or like how to's, how to buy different coins, how to actually transfer crypto from one blockchain to the other blockchain. I just dropped a great video that explains how you can get Polygon, or you can get Ethereum onto the Polygon network without paying any gas fees. So, my song and my music video, I know, is on OpenSea right now for sale for like $5, but you would have to pay $70 in gas fees to bridge over your Ethereum onto the Polygon network. Well, I made a video a way of going around without doing that. So I put in the thousands of hours and late nights studying all this stuff, and then I concise it down to videos and show, I share it with people on the Internet. But yeah, I'm in the metaverse, decentralized social media. I have a social token. So that way you can actually invest in a person themselves. Um, that's very important. It's a decentralized social. It's a decentralized social media on the blockchain where you can make NFTs. You can also um, get a founder reward. So Web 1.0 is basically read only. Web 2.0 is read and write. And Web 3.0 is read, write, and own, and we're really going through a renaissance period right now where creators can own their own art and participate in Web 3.0. It's a really exciting times.
5: You know, Cassius, we started this show 15 years ago, as you know, and we tried to make markets accessible using our art, and our art was just the art of conversation. You're making um, this, the markets accessible, using your art. How important is that to you because... You're bringing this to a lot of people, and I think it's fantastic.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's real important to me. So on my show, Poppin' Crypto, what makes me different than all other crypto shows is that when I bring on a guest, like I just had on Guy Adami, I spit a rap for him about their show or their project or what they've got going on. So I've had DeFi Kingdoms on. They're a play-to-earn video game. but They're actually a Dex for Harmony One. I just did an interview with SuperWorld and the founder and CEO. That video's coming out soon. And I have a song for them, too, where I do a deep dive into these projects. So, like, on my channel, you're going to get the cutting edge of the new Web 3.0 projects that are coming, but also, like, how-to videos and instructional videos. But uh, for when Guy Adami was on, I had to spit a little rap because you got a show, Trading Spaces, on Twitter. And uh, that was was a fun one right there. It's basically a play on the words for Trading Places.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Cash, it's always great to see you. We'll see you soon.
1: Okay, well, thanks for having me, man. Make sure you guys follow, like, and subscribe. Check out that Guy Adami interview. it's real fun.
2: <laughs> I've had enough of Guy Adami, but I'll check out you, Cassius. <laughs> Cassius Kube. Uh You know, Dan, Cassius makes a great point in terms of wanting to be part of Invest in 3.0. The friction is pretty high at this point. It's not intuitive in terms of how you do all this, how you navigate it.
6: Yeah, I mean, listen, he is a unique talent. We've followed him for a year. And I think it's really interesting the way some new entrants, whether to be any market, how they're getting information about things. And so, you know, he's just a really smart, articulate guy who's digging into some stuff that really might be the winners of the next 5, 10, 20 years or for here on out as it relates to technology and innovation. So I give him a lot of credit. I think when he says friction, he also means it's a lot of crap out there. It's a lot of scams. There's a lot of stuff that's not going to work out. So it's kind of like Figure out how to get educated, um, and he's one way to do it right now.
2: Yep. Coming up, we're gearing up for Meta earnings tomorrow after the bell. Options traders logging in ahead of the report. We'll tell you how they're playing it next. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq Market Side right in Times Square. Back right after this. Shares of Meta pushing higher today as the company gears up for earnings. Let's get to Mike Coe on the fast line for the setup, Mike.
9: Yeah, so we saw MetaTrade two times more calls than puts today. Right now, the options market implying it's going to move about 6% by week's end. That's in line with the 6% average over the last eight quarters. The most active options were the weekly 340 calls. We saw over 13,000 of those trading for $1.38. Buyers of those calls obviously betting that it could end up higher than that 340 strike price by week's end. That would be an increase of about 7% over the day's close.
2: Mike, thank you. Options Action Full Show, Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the Final Trade. Tim.
7: Whirlpool, solid last week.
4: Karen. Hi to my dad, Dr. Feynman, who's watching Final Trade Meta Platforms. Dan. Nike. Guy. MetLife, sister.
2: All right, <laughs> Dung Fa Choi, happy new year, everybody. Thanks for watching Fast we'll Be Here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money. June Kramer starts right now.
3: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.